Hello all and welcome to the newest episode of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. I'm Austin. I'm a knockout. I've watched a lot of wrestling. I'm David. I'm a noob. And I haven't watched a whole lot of wrestling. And honestly, after today, I'm not entirely sure I'll, I'll, I'll want to continue to watch more wrestling if, if uh, what Austin's been saying has any credence to it. Yeah, so normally I would laugh at David David's uh, pain because that's how how we work here. But I've also been suffering a little. Bit. <laughs> this has been a real oopsie doopsie backfire on my part. <laughs> but anyway, we are returning to the new generation era. Except I can finally stop just care using generic terms. I have been using the gen- that generic term, the new generation era, as opposed to the specific plot line, because I have been keeping the plot line that we're following very, very tight-lipped about this. I want it to be a, a big shock to you know the the to, for day to have a real-time reaction to David to the plot twist. And I will get into my thoughts on this plot line from my perspective, knowing what we were building towards in the back half when I explain what we're doing. Naturally, naturally. Yeah. So today we that that we that is probably the big development that I want to talk about is that this is takes place one week after our last episode that we watched from this era. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have any recapping to do. So I mean, I looked up the results to the episode of Superstars that aired in between these. Nothing important. Nothing worth mentioning. Wow. Shocking. Oof. Indeed. So, yeah. So that's probably the big thing is that, like, if you've been following along and you don't know what I'm talking, I don't, if you, and you don't know what I, what we've been following, you, you couldn't piece it together from some of the, from what we've been talking about and, like, the general time period that we're in right now. Um, You'll know at the end of this episode. Oh, God. And uh, I, I guess there is also a programming note is that we're going to start this episode off with um, the WWE Championship match between Bret Hart and the 123 Kid. I expect that's going to be pretty great. Yeah, that is like my one solace amongst all this. When that got announced last week, like, hey, okay, I've been having a wild time with 123 Kid recently. Because we saw him kind of like pop up last uh, last time we did New Generation, and I was I was really digging him. Uh, he was uh, he he did a King's Court interview where he just kind of like he he kind of like like dicked on Lawler just by being chill. Like Lawler was trying to egg him on, and he was like, "Nah, you know, I'm just gonna go out there and do my thing. You're weird, like." spite politics don't factor into my calculus here and Lawler's just kind of like floundering and I'm like yes and then yeah he's going up against Bret Hart like that's gonna be good like like I love me the heart I love me some Hart brothers and 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 one two three kids so far seems awesome and then like we got him in like attitude era and he was completely different it was really really weird but like yes, we've yes. gotten to, we've gotten to see like both sides of the of the sean waltman coin in his <laughs> wwe tenures but i i am excited for that match that probably is going to be a good match and i'm excited to have something nice to say about the new generation <laughs> Yeah, I, I I fully expect if 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 one two three kid and Bret Hart isn't a good match, then we're just in a cursed era of time. Might as well give up on anything. There's, yeah, pretty much. 
yeah, um, this is a very short back half. You know, this is like sub, sub five minutes, but um, because I there's just nothing else for me to say. We're we're gonna find out what this has all been about. Well, while we've been building to, and you know, we're gonna have at least one really good match. All right, I'm prepared. Let's do it. Yep. See you guys in the back half later. And we are back. We've just finished the July 11th, 1994 episode of the of uh, Monday Night Raw. And I'm going to be honest, not in a terrible mood. Not yet. Yeah, no, you were really priming me to be pissed at the end of this. But like, no, the, 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 the headliner match was really, really good. And like after that, all the rest was kind of like meh. But like it was meh following something really good and nothing actually like super offended me or anything. So like yeah that was cool very true uh i'm still gonna have my little rage here because please because all right so let's let's start with the thing that i've been mad about for months pretty much ever since i was like let's do this storyline and then i plotted it out um Hmm. so the the summer slam report this was the first summer slam report uh, but we got to watch Todd Pettengill do bad stand-up comedy slash radio talk, talk shill work. But he announced the main event of SummerSlam 1994. Mm-hmm. Undertaker versus The Undertaker. Yeah. That is the storyline that we are cut that I have been covering on this show. Th- through this storyline. The first episode we watched was deep. The first time DiBiase went on air and suggested that he had purchased the undertaker. And last week was the very first week that the under faker, as I will now call him for, for, for sake for uh, say ease was the very first time he appeared on television. Oh, wait. Okay. Yeah. 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 My brain is, my memory starting to get jogged. Okay. Okay, yeah, that whole thing. Yes. Here is why this makes me mad. Okay. And I don't get mad. I don't I don't think I get very mad on this show, mostly because um, you know, I accept I, I have a very high bar, high uh high uh tolerance for things that are silly or dumb because I find think wrestling is in general silly and ki- kind of silly and kind of dumb. So I sure. I'm I'm willing to let a lot of things go. As long as it feels like somebody tried. Uh, I am one of the last defenders of Bray Wyatt, if you're looking at modern wrestling, and I adore The Undertaker. He's one of my favorite characters ever in wrestling. And so this storyline has always been so infamous within wrestling fandom as being really dumb and really bad. And I agree. But what makes me mad about it is how goddamn lazy it feels. Because if it kind if you've only been following on this podcast, you it may seem a little out of nowhere that like last week we have this whole thing where like the fake Undertaker shows up and Paul Bear tries to sway him and it kind of seems like it's working. And now suddenly they're just announcing as part of a as part of a stupid 
shit pay-per-view shill. Oh yeah, there we're gonna have the Undertaker fight another Undertaker. There's apparently two of them. This seems a little out of nowhere, doesn't it? Well, guess what? We've skipped, we've missed nothing on the TV broadcast. They have done this stuff where Ted DiBiase is all like, I bought The Undertaker, mwa-ha-ha-ha-ha. And Paul Bear's like, oh, no, you didn't. I'm blah-blah-blah. And then the fake Undertaker shows up, and Paul Bear is like, I'm gonna try to get. I'm gonna try to convince him, and then suddenly they're just like, "Boom!" Undertaker versus Undertaker. No, no appearance by the real Undertaker here. He's he's not shown up, and he's not showing up until they come to the match. And the absolute laziness of that pisses me off. I went into this expecting that this storyline was going to be really stupid, but at least fun to make fun of. And it's not because they put like the minimal possible effort into it. And that, it pisses me off. (laughs) Jesus. Damn. I... First of all, fucking snaps to Austin for being the one to have the the, the, the really good monologue this episode. Um, I mean, I definitely get that. I I I not like I I guess not really thinking through the implications and not like as keyed into the culture as you are. Like that's not something I was thinking about as like particularly offensive. But like I will say, it does feel a little like weird and rushed like like okay so last time we did a new generation episode this kind of, kind of to, to give you all kind of a back uh, behind the scenes look a little bit last time we did a new generation episode because austin's and my schedules are very wonky uh we had to split it up into like two viewing experiences um and so like in between you know and we like watched between like two weeks and there was it was like so spaced out that i had to kind of like look up the episode to like jog my memory oh, I, and stuff. This, I, not the last time we did new generation we did attitude era oh was that attitude era yeah oh. you looked up an attitude era wrestler oh i looked up an attitude era oh okay yeah, yeah and i saw this and i was like huh that's weird and austin's like yeah that's that's kind of like one of the, the the thing a new generation we're going for and i'm like oh okay yeah. and like it didn't even register with me like that the that the freaking like dibiase buying the undertaker thing like that wasn't a real undertaker um and now they're just kind of doing like this out of left field like it wasn't the real undertaker like i to me it's just like this feels weirdly rushed like why are we putting so yes. much thought so 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 little like thought into it but also like i i think for me too i'm like i have such a low bar for the new generation them like rushing a plot line through like this is just kind of it just kind of feels like yep this is par for the course this is like the level of like of like uh, uncreative um sloppy rush job writing that we're that we're at just consistently throughout this era so like for me i'm like yeah no that's feels weirdly rushed but then again so does like half the other shit in this in this era so like see i i get that but i expect that kind of laziness from like the mid card people like yeah jeff to use a comparison from last time that we talked in the new generation like mm-hmm. the the stupid doink the clown versus jeff jarrett stuff that, that is the level of effort i expect for that level of wrestler mm-hmm. i didn't expect them to be this lazy with the undertaker who is defend who is by this point one of the biggest stars they have this is his yeah. this is his big return storyline they wrote him out of tv 
at the Royal Rumble 94 when he was thrown in a casket by 10 men and he ascends into heaven or whatever. <laughs> I, it, it doesn't, it's hard for me to describe it without just showing it. It was weird. But he has been off TV at this point for seven months. And he will be gone for another month while we build into this. And not only is him fighting a fake Ver Undertaker the best thing they can think to do as his return story, they also basically don't have him in it at all until the end. Yeah, and like, I feel like there's a way you could pull that off, but like, just, just blowing your load, I guess showing your hand this early on, like, like, not even a single question of, like, of, of what could be going on. No ambiguity, no mystery, no nothing, um, aside from, like, there are two Undertakers, and, there and, like, that, that's it, like, there's a weird lack of fanfare, there's a weird, like, just, just so much potential is not being realized here, and that, that is, yeah, that is kind of annoying. Uh, I, I, again, partially for me is like, I guess, like, still being the noob that I am, I don't have the full like cultural context of how established Undertaker was at this point, and, like how big he was, just because it feels so weird to think of anything that's in the new generation as like big, but like, um, but yeah, no, I, I get that, and it's, it, it is, a, it is a little bizarre that it's so this low key and this like. The, kind of like shrugged off in a way and just kind of yeah no this is what's happening we're bringing a detective in go nuts kids yeah okay so yeah and i understand from your side how like it doesn't it doesn't read as obnoxiously yeah it does but, but i sympathize with what i sympathize with what you're saying it's just like it's just kind of from my own like personal context it doesn't like viscerally hit the way it does for you mm-hmm. And and I guess I guess I forgot to in, in the rant forgot to explain. So in the Attitude Era, we were watching a wrestler named Chains. Uh, that is Brian, real name Brian Lee. He is one of the Undertaker's uh, close personal friends, actually in real life. Wow. And so they cast him as the fake Undertaker. So when David looked up, David was trying to remember who Chains was, and he clicked on his like wiki bio. He saw also that he was credited as being the Undertaker. Yeah. And, and I will, uh, and so, yeah. And also on this episode, like the way they decide to do this is instead of having any real buildup to this idea of the under, of there being two undertakers, because I've already complained that there's not. And in a minute, I'm going to fantasy book my way into a better version. Of the <laughs> I yes. I love awesome I fantasy bookings. I don't do this on this show because I like to, I like the idea of keeping it grounded in an analysis of what actually happened. I don't like to like. I don't generally like to like fantasy book my own way into ways like I think we could totally do it better because also because I'm not a real writer. So first of all, I would suck at it in in like if I had to really do it. And two, again, I prefer to stick to analysis, but this is making me so mad that I want to give a point as to how you could have done this storyline with the same basic structure and had more effort. And I just want to throw in for our audience real quick. You're in for a treat because Austin fantasy booking is a ton of fun. Anyway, uh, don't don't build up expectations. But anyway, on this episode, they so what they could do is instead of trying to like build suspense to the idea of there being two undertakers is they just say there's two undertakers. And what they're going to do is they're going to hire a detective. That's a celebrity cameo that I'm going to say for next time. I already know what it is and that I'm kind of excited about, but I'm not going to say who it is on this episode. And they are going to be the, they're going to figure out is there two undertakers. So they're selling it as if like, 
for some goddamn reason, the president of the of the WWF, Jack Tunney, announces this match, even though nobody really knows that there is two Undertakers. Like, everyone's yeah. kind of skeptical of this idea, but Jack Tunney decided to make it a match anyway, which is yeah, so dumb, but whatever. And but anyway, okay, now that I've explained what they did do, let's fantasy book our way to this storyline. So actually, I'm going to start with basically the same premise as what they did, because actually, I think a lot of that it works for me. It's a little corny, sure, but I'm also keeping this, I'm not trying to make this high drama. I'm trying to make it feel like it tried, and yeah. it, it can still be enjoyable in a silly way. So yeah. the whole, they do these bits for weeks about these people thinking they saw The Undertaker, and we can keep the same stupid jokes about him buying a dozen donuts that are casket-shaped, or him appearing in a hole that's six feet deep, and blah, or him appearing in the back of a hearse, or whatever. Yeah. Keep all that. And also, keep the part where DiBiase is like, I bought The Undertaker. Yeah. And so... And then we don't build this up for two fucking months because they did. They spent two months of him claiming that he's bought the undertaker before he shows up. Now we're bringing him in early, a couple weeks at most before we bring in the under faker and he's, (gasps) And he's showing up and we can have Paul Bearer more involved in this story because Paul Bearer's role in this story to me is weird in that he never acknowledges that the undertaker is fake until they announce this match. It always, and I could buy that. Maybe Paul Bearer doesn't even know, but (laughs) it feels, but I I want more of a character development for Paul here. So what we're going to do, so we're going to have the undertaker. He's going to start making appearances with DiBiase and do the same thing. He basically does the undertaker stick, but instead of being possessed, being powered by the urn of Paul Bearer, he is, it's DiBiase (laughs) waving $5 bills around. Just like he did last week. And so we do this a couple of times. And Paul Bearer, we can even do the thing they did last week, uh, where Paul Bearer tries to show up and and interfere. He he, he, he brings out the urn and tries to use it on The Undertaker. And maybe, and instead of, and I think instead of having it have some effect, have it have no effect. Because this isn't The Undertaker. This thing from last week doesn't make any goddamn sense knowing retroactively that's not The Undertaker. Yeah, no, like, 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 maybe you could argue, like, they're trying to fuck with him, but, like, even then, like, what, why, why would, why waste your breath, like, yeah, like, just have him completely ignore Paul Bearer, and be complete, and make, make the audience believe that, that he's just succumbed to the money, that it doesn't affect him anymore, but then what we do, is this can be Paul Bearer's moment to understand that he's not the real Undertaker. And so what we start having him do is Paul Bearer can start kind of making waves at the idea that this Undertaker is a fraud, that clearly something's wrong, because why would the Undertaker not respond to the urn? That, that yeah. he, he thinks that's weird. And like, I'll... And, and you could art and like, do you want to talk about like what kind of medium he tells this through? Dude's been on the talk. Like we don't talk about it because it's only been on superstars, but Shawn Michaels has a talk show segment called the heartbreak hotel. Uh-huh. And Paul bear has appeared on it multiple times over the course of this time frame that we're talking, that we're doing this storyline in. So just have him do that and have him like, 
tell a story here of trying to trying to lay down cast doubt on the validity of this undertaker and what you can do is i, I guess you have two routes with it is whether you want them to have this if you want to keep the detective angle is if you want them to keep the detective angle what i think you could do is and maybe you tone down the Paul Bear necessarily trying to uh, cast doubt that the, the underfaker is is the fake, and yeah. but what I think you could do is that you could have the real Undertaker show up alongside Paul Bearer and the fake Undertaker show up alongside DiBiase, but never have them be in the same place at the same time. Make the audience believe that there is still only one Undertaker. But it is, but he's kind of going back and forth between DiBiase and Paul Bear, as if the Undertaker himself is conflicted. Yeah. And and eventually, then you reveal, oh, apparently there's been two the whole time, and the detective crap. Or even better, here's what you do: is we're gonna have this detective come in. Is even have it, so, and he comes in and investigates the the situation, and that's when you reveal to the audience that there's two undertakers. That your dumb detective angle reveals that there is in fact two undertakers. Big shock, surprise moment, and that's when you announce the match. Alternatively, if you don't want to do a celebrity detective shtick, which admittedly they might want to do that, so maybe, so I might be fantasy booking something that can't happen. But, yeah. Hypothetically, if I can cut out the celebrity angle to it, and I would like to, because that yeah. was, I care, I have, I better structure this story if there is no detective. But so you do, you spend weeks of Paul Bear claiming that the Undertaker that was with DiBiase is a fake. Then some episode of Raw or even Superstars doesn't matter. Point being, on a show. They have the Undertaker, Underfaker and DiBiase doing their thing. The, and then suddenly Paul Bearer comes out. They hit the music and the real Undertaker shows up. And we have the stare down between the Underfaker and the Undertaker. A real holy shit moment of, oh my God, there, un, Paul Bearer was telling the truth. There are two of them. Yes. What the hell. And then from there, you announce a taker versus taker match and and then i don't know you can just do the same like whatever back and forth it's super you know basics basic stuff you know we're feuding stuff for 1994 there's not i don't think that's it that's as important as the build-up to the oh my god there's two of them <laughs> yeah and no. then they have their match at SummerSlam. that the the just the way you describe it there, like when there's a reveal moment, I can just picture that in my mind, and it, it's so much more effective. The because like that's what a show like this thrives on, right? Like W the, the WWF WWE throughout its history, like some of its best moments come from these amazing like uh ex just just these um amazing moments where something happens that you either don't see coming at all or like 
is forecasted in such a way that it casts enough doubt and there's enough anticipation that seeing it happen feels like this big release. We've seen this a billion times on this podcast. We've seen it with Mark Henry. We've seen it with CM Punk. Uh, we've seen it. Um, uh, we've seen it kind of with with like someone like Alberto Del Rio winning Money in the Bank. You know, all these all these things were like we have these great little surprise moments. Uh, we saw um, we see it with the with the with the Savage um, the Savage uh, the, the superpower scene. The, the, yes, the, uh, Savage and Hogan. Savage Hogan. Hogan. Out and does the and does the ridiculous facial expression. This is yeah. This is a show that like it. Its best moments come from like these explosive like um these the, the, these explosive things that just in a moment everything changes. Um, it's 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 very like like it's it doesn't even have to be a plot twist of some time. Just mm-hmm. something that shakes up like what we've known and like kind of communicates to the audience in this very, um, this very tangible way. Um, this isn't normal. Things are about to get wild once again. And the lack of this, yeah, is hugely disappointing when it comes to a story like this. Like this could have, and it's, this could have been another legendary moment in a way, um, where like, it comes to a head and, somehow we get we get a, we get a shot where the fake where the under faker comes face to face with the undertaker either by complete accident or by the undertaker doing something to claw his way out of some sort of like uh confinement or imprisonment or something or any or any okay, here's an idea this might be a little too high high bar for what they would they be, for what they were doing at the time but they would love this imagery later yeah. and later and this is why i'm bringing this up is mm-hmm. what you could do is paul bear comes out and instead of just having the undertaker walk out he brings out the casket that yeah. the undertaker was buried in and then um, suddenly Undertaker's hand pops out of the casket, either like he breaks through or he just kind of opens the door. Point being is that he just kind of, he appears in the casket as if he was rising from it in this. And I think that could be an, in a very good image. Yeah, that would be, that would be phenomenal. Um, and they just, they just don't, they just kind of like shrug it off. And yeah, to your point, just the absolute, like, it, the the way this is done just communicates like that the, that the writers of this kind of don't care like they're just doing this to to fill some time this could have been momentous and game changing um or at the very least something really wild that the audience would never like think that like think for 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 a storyline to go mm-hmm. toward but nope we just kind of roll with it and, and here gonna, we are yeah. and like, I, I I feel like I have to reiterate again. This is the main event of SummerSlam. This yeah. is supposed to be the marquee match on this show. And you can already debate about what, whether it's a good idea to have the marquee match of, a, of one of your four pay-per-views a year be The Undertaker fighting a body double. Spoiler warning, I don't think that's a good idea. But even if we assume that you have to do it that way, why is it so lazily put together? Yeah, no. It is the, the first match you announce for SummerSlam, and it and it barely has any story to it. it, it and it, like because of course, like we get we get just a, an announcement from Pettengill, and, and it's and it's said as it's it's said pretty much as nonchalantly as any other thing he would announce or as standard. Like he gives a little like I'm I'm not sure how this is gonna happen, but President Jack Tunney says this is happening, so it's gonna happen. Like like there's no like. They, they just do not give any sort of, like, 
credence to what's happening. They don't give any sort of like shock value. They don't, they don't allow an atmosphere. It's just kind of there going through the motions of we're WWF and we have to do weird plot lines sometimes to keep people interested. Aren't we quirky? Yeah. And, and like, I am, again, I am not trying to like make a version of this storyline. That's good. I honestly don't believe there's really a way to make it that like people look back fondly on, especially, especially because the match itself isn't very good, but there is a way to make it look like, why can't it feel as important as every fucking other basic-ass Undertaker versus another big guy storyline that basically dominated his entire career as a babyface in the mid-90s? Like, he became the giant slayer as, like, like, like a Hulk Hogan before him because they just really like the idea of the big man of the big man who has to be invincible fighting other big dudes. And why does this, why does this one in particular feel so unimportant is what annoys me. Yeah. I sympathize. Him versus giant Gonzalez or Kamala don't, don't feel important are also shit, but they at least feel like they were supposed to be important. This is yeah. This is nothing in comparison, and it's and it's the ultimate shame that like so much potential was wasted on something like this. Because the real shame is once you do a storyline like this, you can't really do it again. At least not for a long, 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 long time. Um, and like I agree with you that like there's probably not a version of this that gets looked back on unironically fondly as this was legitimately like good writing from start mm-hmm. to finish, but. I think there. I think it had the potential to be looked back on fondly in some ways. If if we had that good reveal moment, that could have been looked back on fondly as a great kind of shocking twist in the era, or at the very least, one that was built up too well. Um, it's, it's, or, it's a thing yeah. you could put in the video packages, trying yeah. to talk about how look at the the highlights of the Undertaker's career. Him 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 standing off, him coming out of a casket and standing face to face with his other Undertaker could have been one of those moments. Yeah, and like it could have been one of those like this is goofy, but like I admire the hustle sort of things but they don't even go there. It's, it's yeah, lame and boring. And that, I mean, honestly, that's kind of why I was so like confused at first about like, wait, this is the big plot twist because it doesn't feel like a big plot twist. It just feels like a thing. And I'm like, Oh, that's happening. Mm-hmm. Cool. And that's ultimately why I'm mad is because as you said, it doesn't feel like a plot twist and I feel, and I feel like it should have. And I feel like, and, and and it's disrespectful to Undertaker to to treat it this way in a, in a lot of ways, uh, kind of to your point earlier, um, it, because because like this is this is what he gets for his big return. This is like, yeah, this is this is our this is the first time that he's ever been written off TV. He would periodically become written off TV for extended periods of time to, you know, heal up his injuries or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like the next big time you see this and he usually ends up freshening up his character sometimes like the next big time he does this in 99. That's when he comes back. When he comes back, he's the he's a biker. He's a biker. Drops the the dead man thing. And then the next time he comes back in 04, he does this again. He returns as the Undertaker, the dead man. 
And yeah, it's really weird, but I, so that's, like, that's a talk for another day. It is. and But just like my point, like these these are like you look at Undertaker's career and usually him getting written off is usually a big deal. And so is his return, but not this one. No, it's, it's just kind of there. And again, in a lot of ways, wouldn't expect anything different from the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. But it's so disappointing. Yeah, or the new generation. But it is really kind of disappointing. Yeah. And again, the fact that I couldn't even muster up the like the the enthusiasm to get like offended about this as someone with no context like that, that in itself is kind of indicative of like how nothing this is. (laughs) Yeah. So after a 30 minute rant about a decent episode. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Let, let's actually talk about everything else because as we said from the start actually this episode is d is pretty good i think um yeah no it the kind of kind of what we were saying um was uh before before we i think before we went live was like was like you know not actually that upsetty right now pretty in a good mood but like you know just the we had one really good match and the rest was kind of like eh but Mm-hmm. But like following the really good, like you know, the 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 eh isn't all that like offensive because at least you're still riding the high. So our headlining match, our 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 top build, uh, uh, throwdown of the evening, Bret Hart versus the one two three kid. Oh my lord! If you had told me like after our first new generation episode that I would have that I would get this invested in any fight in the new generation, I probably wouldn't have believed you. Like mm-hmm. I would like this was exceptional. This felt like it, it still had a some of the like edit or the new generation's trademark slowness a little bit. It started off mm-hmm. a little slow. There were some at first it was kind of like a lot of just like arm holds, which like you know, I know, like, you know, if you're in an arm hold, it can be hard to, like, get out of in a way, mm-hmm. but it doesn't look all that impressive. But then they start going, and it just, it goes so hard. And it, mm-hmm. and it runs for a decently long time, too. And it just, a lot of goodness packed into one. And, 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 oh my god. Yeah, I enjoyed it. This was an exceptionally good fight, especially for this er- this era. What? Yes, a hundred percent. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna steal from uh from somebody from uh you know a, a a former wrestler I've heard talking on a podcast about a different match than this, but I like the way he put it. Is like he liked that match. Is like he was like this is pretty good, and then it kept going. And then it kept going, and then it kept going, and I feel very similarly to this match, to to uh, one two three kid versus Bret Hart, is that it starts out pretty good. You know, if, if you're a fan of old school wrestling fundamentals, you know, mm-hmm. hold on to your butts because they they, <laughs> they do a pretty good job of running through that very that very those basic you know you know chess match esque you know uh, hold counter hold you know stuff that isn't like isn't written is, is it's kind of, it is the feeling out process, so to speak. You know, you're kind of, it's, it's pretty, it's kind of slow. It's not the most momentous, but it is, it, it helps build. It helps a good mm-hmm. foundation to build, to get more exciting and exciting. It does get. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think the, the, the really cool thing you talking about the, it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going thing. Um, 
which they did this very intentionally, obviously. And like, yeah, good yeah. on them for knowing how to like build suspense. Like, uh, it starts off and it, and it lasts, you know, the full length to one commercial break or no, it doesn't it does, cut it the commercial two. in the middle. Yeah. Uh, so it goes, so, it, it goes uh, I think it gets one commercial break. Yeah. It gets one commercial break. And then and, they, and then they, they do the thing that I'm sure you're about to talk about. And they yeah. have the second commercial break and then they finish the match in the third, in the third segment. Yeah. So, so it's, so we, we come back from a commercial break and then, um, you know, one, two, three kids starts off in control after the break and then keeps, and then, and then like, you know, he starts to get a little cocky and Brett gets the upper hand. Um, and, uh, the ref ends up counting out one, two, three kid. Yeah. Brett, Brett, Brett gets the pin. Brett does a move. I forget what move it is now, yeah, I mean, but he does. He, it, that doesn't really matter, but he pins, he pins one, two, three kid and kid gets his foot on the ropes. And for people not as well versed in wrestling rules, basically if any part of your body is out, is, is touching the rope or under the rope or whatever, you are considered out of the ring and you can't pin somebody out of the ring. Yeah. And so what he did was a legitimate like way to get to not get pinned, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, and, but the referee didn't see it. So he kept counting and he did the one, two, and he counted one, two, three and gave Brett the win. Yeah. And I'm actually not like still great on my wrestling rules. So I didn't catch that either. Um, and so it finished up and I literally said like, that was good. Dang, I wish it could have lasted longer. And then Brett starts shaking his head. He's like, no, 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 no. And he starts talking to the referee and arguing with the referee and saying, kid got his foot on the ropes. Uh, this match isn't over. You shouldn't have counted him out. We gotta, we're going to, we, we need to finish this properly. We should keep going. Yeah. And they get a second, they get a second ref in to, for, for a second opinion. And bada bing, bada boom, the, the whole, they, yeah, it's, it's, it's considered, yeah, the, 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 the match didn't properly end. Kid didn't actually like count out. He had his foot on the rope. Let's keep going. And it kept going. And I'm like, oh my God, I got my wish. It, it, more of this fight. And it continued to be really good. And as I said, this is a, this was a, it's, I was, when I watched this happen, I thought back to the Jeff Jarrett moment from a week before mm-hmm. and how these compare and contrast and how the week yes. before it was a really dumb character moment of, for Jeff Jarrett, because it, it didn't feel right for who he was. And it wasn't like he won unfairly. He just kind of was for some reason wanted to win inside the ring. Yeah. But this time, this is a great character moment for Brett because mm-hmm. Brett is the goody good guy who, who follows the rules and, <laughs> and, and respects fair, fair play and sportsmanship. And he sees the injustice here that one, two, three kid, you know, even if it got him the win, one, two, three kid got cheated. Out of a, he didn't get a fair shot to win or lose because the, because of a referee mistake, and he was determined that like we're gonna if if this is gonna end, it's gonna be because by the rules I won, the, yeah. I didn't win according to the rules, and I don't want to win that way. And this is I, I made the comment while we were watching uh, while we were watching uh, is. I really, really, and I, I've made this comment before, I'm pretty sure. I probably made this comment last week, which actually makes this a f- really fun parallel to the last one we talked about, is I really, really enjoy these friendly matches, right? Where mm-hmm. um, where we have it so that it's 
two wrestlers that aren't coming in with any sort of weird personal beef. There's no, um, there's no drama. There's no nothing. It's just who's going to get the belt. And, you know, you kind of have your person that you're rooting for, you know, probably the default for rooting for this one. You know, from my perspective, the default for rooting for this one is kid because you're like, oh, he's new and bright eyed and bushy tailed and you want him to get a dub. Um, but, you know, we had plenty of people in that crowd chanting Brett, too. And, um, and, and, I want to interject here. Is it like you talk about that? I was, I was trying to watch, I, I was watching as I met, as I talked about it, you know, in the CM Punk Cena match, Cena wrestled that, like, in terms of how the match was structured, Cena was the de facto heel. And I was paying, and being another babyface versus babyface match, I was paying attention to that in this match. And I really feel like they didn't pick a de facto heel. They structured the match in a way that both wrestlers had long times where they were in control of the match and the bait and both of them also got their moments to get like the heroic good guy comeback. Well, the, I, well, the, 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 the real parallel here was from last week, Cena versus Mysterio. This has a lot of, I mean, not with the same level of like gravity that Cena versus, um, Mysterio had because you know kind of ultimately what Cena versus Mysterio is going to lead up to. Um, but I mean, we're still, we're still, you know, fighting over the championship, you know, two guys that are, that are, you know, we're both rooting for the entire time, um, that there are ups and downs to both them winning. And there's kind of a big bad to face at the end of this road for whoever gets it, which in a way kind of makes the winner obvious in retrospect. But at the time you get sucked into the match and you're, and you do think this could go either way. And you're kind of rooting, you might root for the underdog. You might root for the pre-existing champ. It, but it doesn't matter because it's good fighting and there's so much tension to it. Um, and it, it, again, fun to kind of draw it as a parallel with last week where like um, there was this kind of like angst to it toward the end. Um, but here it's just kind of straight up. These are two men who respect each other and they're, they're going to do a brutal fight. But they're doing their thing because that's what they get paid to do, and at the end of the day, they both still respect the hell out of each other. And again, we get to see that with Brett wanting to continue the match. Um, and then even at the end, Brett gets the win, ultimately, um, which again, he has to face off against Owen at the end of this road, so of course he's probably going to be the, the one who ends up getting it, but... It, um, as soon as soon as the submission is determined, as soon as the bell gets rung, he's checking on one, two, three. He's making sure he's okay. He's he's like he's he's kind of like got his hand on his back and he's looking over him and kind of being like, mm -hmm. hey, you, 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 you're doing good. You make it. Um, there is no like big braggadocious celebration. It's respectful. And again, the, I, I don't know. For me, there's just something that's so cool about the way that kind of plays out. Yeah, I, I agree. Is I, I really enjoyed this. As this, it's it's two guys who like the in, in their profession, the pinnacle of their profession is to be the world champion, and they both <laughs> want that. And that's ultimately why they're fighting. It's not any it's not any more ridiculously personal drama to it. Yeah. And, and, and again, the cool thing about this is, is it lets you focus so much on the sport itself. What was really cool about it for me, um, with that, uh, you know, I, I talked about how it was kind of a slow start at the beginning. Um, but that, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, partially because 
it kind of had this cool air to it. It was starting off slow and kind of like with the announcers really like going in on discussing the technical aspects of what was going on in the moment. Um, and them kind of each finding their footing and starting to try moves on each other, see what works, see what fits, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, it really felt for a moment, just watched like we were watching this legitimate technical sports match. It's kind of magical because in matches like this, kayfabe almost melts away in your mind it you you forget that you're watching ultimately like a weird silly fictional serialized story you're just watching a sports show for a little bit and there's something that's really cool about that effect Mm -hmm. um it, it makes you feel like you know uh, like almost one of the cool kids in a way, like, like, yeah, I may be like watching this cause it's like, like goofy and accessible, you know, um, in a way that's something like, you know, professional real sports aren't, but like for a moment, you know, it feels really, really legit. And then again, it just lets you focus on that sportsmanship and oh boy, this, the, the, this, the athletic ability on display in this one out of this world. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's a good way to transit to kind of segue into all my, like, what is the story of the match? And, and you kind of, you kind of, and it, it's pretty easy to tell. It's not a complicated one at all, but basically, mm-hmm. but you know, is that one, two, three kid comes into this as, as like the younger, hungrier uh, challenger who is, who is faster and more athletic than Brett is not to take anything away from Brett's athletic, oh, no. but, but he, but the kid is, is flipping and flying he's all over the place and he all and he seems to overwhelm brett in 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 several moments but the thing is is that brett is like is like the cool-headed veteran of this situation where he 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 also is also a wrestling genius who knows the moves and knows how to counter the moves and that's kind of a and that's and that's kind of a I think a big tell for most of the back and forth is that is that you know one two three kid would eventually would find his spots when he could to kind of overwhelm Brett but the but the at the end of the day Brett has the knowledge and that allows him to pick apart any any mistake that the kid make that one two three kid makes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's it's kind of this cool back and forth because kid like like the impressive thing about kid is like. This early into his career, the fact that he's this gifted, uh, this capable of pulling off such really challenging maneuvers and making them look just natural and easy, um, is a is a phenomenal thing to watch, and it it's one of those things that for me just never ever ever gets old. Um, and and so we get we get to we get to see him show off a lot of that and show off why that makes him despite being so so green such a worthy adversary for, for Brett. But then we get to see Brett turn it around and every time the kid you know pulls a pulls a move out to to kind of overwhelm him to like I didn't see that coming any sort of thing like that. Um, it really gets to show off Brett's seasoned adeptness where. One, two, three kid hits him with like three different finishers and the guy still kicks out um, mm-hmm. just the strength that he's built up over the years. And we see him like be able to catch the kid in some of his in some of his tricks um, and, you know, five figures way figures way out of it and and kind of turn it around and counter it for the kid. That's really cool. Um, 
it, and, and shows off how smart he is as a fighter. This It, it plays for such great contrast um, that the story, yeah, I, I, I like how you describe it as the story of the match because instead of it being this explicit, like, you know, here are the personal stakes. Uh, you slept with my mom, or you know, whatever weird shit they want to pull out to, to you know. We're not doing Val. We're not doing Val Venus right now. Yeah. Oh God, I don't even want to think about Val Venus until I absolutely have to. God. Um. But um. But but you know, whatever whatever weird crap they pull out to to make a feud, the story gets to be a lot more subtle. Um. And the story becomes about you know, which almost philosophy will win the day. Uh, will it be the aggression, the, the, the fresh aggression or the, um, the, the meticulous, uh, the meticulous veteran, uh, practices like it, 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 it lends so much more to like, again, that sports aspect that, that it, there's this great subtlety to it. You're not getting bashed over the face with things. You just really, really, really get to enjoy the match. And, um, and then when you think about it more, there's all these little goodies to, to really kind of discover the more you think about it, the more you analyze it. And that's the joy of stuff like this for me. Mm, yeah. It was, it was a fantastic match that literally took half the episode, by the way, is it like it and like the, of a 46 minute episode, it was, it ended at the 23 minute mark. And the, and the episode is, is all the better for it. Um, mm. it, this, this match could have been the entire episode and I would have been down for it. Yeah, I'm. I'm very glad. I'm. I'm not totally surprised that they would give this much time to the WWE Championship match, but they don't. They don't always give that much time to the mm -hmm. big matches on these episodes. So I'm very appreciative that they did. And I mean, you know, as we will, as as we've mentioned so many times before on the show, and as I'm sure we'll continue to reference just throughout every, uh, you know, th throughout the lifespan of this show, is as we know. Bret Hart doesn't always get treated this well. He gets a lot of disrespect throughout his career. Um, so to see him be treated this well by the writing and to get to show off so much again, and again, such a worthy adversary. Um, it's, it, it's, it gives this great little, you know, uh, for, for people who have the, you know, hindsight of what the rest of Bret Hart's career looks like. Um, it gives this great little like uh, uh, snapshot where for a brief moment, this insanely gifted man was allowed everything that he deserved in his career. Um, and it's so, it's, it's, it's so nice to see uh, a breath of fresh air. Um, and it, and it, it kind of makes me want to stay in this little pocket of his career forever because, Oh man, the, the stuff he gets to do here and the fact that he is the champion and rightfully regarded as the most gifted wrestler in the entire company, you know, mm -hmm. absolutely deserved and something that I feel very personally gratified by. Yeah. This is this is definitely in my view that is that is kind of the most worthwhile thing to look at new generation stuff for is that Bret Hart, you know, I think that a lot of people very underrate Bret Hart's ability to play a character so to speak, you know, they they like he like he is generally mentioned as like, you know, he wasn't very good at promos or whatever until he became the anti-American heel in 97. 
in the hmm. in the early attitude era. And I disagree. Now, admittedly, I'm not saying he was like a phenomenal character actor or anything. Oh, but no. I think I think he was quite competent at it. But the more importantly is that like the new generation has so many things going wrong with it. <laughs> so many things. But the one thing it got right was that Bret Hart quickly became a an ace of the company and the man that they let him go out there and wrestle his heart out against so many great wrestlers and have so many great matches. Oh my God. In that respect, the new generation is Bret Hart's peak. It's his Renaissance. Where he, he can, when it in the ring, he can do no wrong. And he is just on. He's, he is just dialed in right now. And I and I think this episode was a great representation of that. And and I and I will even give you uh, give him this too. Like you're talking about, like you know how he's regarded as a character actor. It, I I had a kind of realization pass through my mind while we were watching, um, because you know the the one of the early things they show in the they show in the episode kind of before the match gets kicked off, they show Bret Hart speaking at a Hall of Fame induction for himself. Yeah, correct. Uh, no, yeah. for no, he's he's he's, oh. he's he's just giving a speech. He's not he's, he's not like okay. he was. Yes, at this point in time, the WWE Hall of Fame wasn't like a big public spectacle that they used to prop up WrestleMania weekend. At this point, it was more like a private dinner that they would ceremony they would have among colleagues, and then they'd show highlights of. Yeah. Later for the fans, but yeah, Bret Hart was giving us. I don't know for the, I don't know the context because I don't know enough about wrestle. I don't know enough about like the Hall of Fame class of '94 enough uh-huh. to remember like why he's talking. But yeah, he's giving a speech at the Hall of Fame ceremony. Yeah, he gives a, he gives a speech and like they show him mentioning like the great respect he has for some of his peers, including One Two Three Kid, and he gives like a, I'm going to be following his career very closely sort of line. Um, and then at the end of the episode, he cuts this promo where, um, he's so, um, he, you know, he's talking about like, you know, I have nothing but respect for one, two, three kid. He put out such a good hustle out there that like, even I was surprised. Um, and I feel lucky to have this belt, uh, to get to retain this belt. Uh, and it kind of cut off before the end of the episode, the, the, the VHS we were watching. Um, yes. Unfortunately, so the WWE network is dead and yeah. we could not get it working again. Thanks. WWE peacock fuckers. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, so we were watching a VHS rip we found on YouTube. Yeah, um, so it kind of cut off toward the, but you get the gist of he's, you know, he's just saying like, you know, I'm, I feel lucky to be here, feel lucky to retain this, you know, the match was awesome, and then then it goes on to be like, talk about Owen. Yeah, be like, be like, I'm the best heart brother, you you know how it does. Um, Yeah. But it, but it kind of, it kind of, um. It, I kind of had the realization watching all that and kind of watching how he interacted with one, two, three kid once their match was done. Um, you know, him giving that speech at the hall of fame dinner and like, obviously again, the hall of fame dinner back then as like, uh, as Austin, you know, just illustrated to me, it wasn't like some big giant, like glamorous thing, but they still, you know, would show highlights and stuff, which means they still in a way have to maintain kayfabe, even in their own like semi-private events. And, you know, I'm sure I, I would not be remotely surprised if Bret Hart, who, from everything I've heard, I have nothing but respect for his character, um, meant every word he said about 123Kid. But that's still him having to, like, keep kayfabe. And the way, like, just from start to finish in the episode, he you can feel that, like, the respect that he uses for the guy. Um, 
and the 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 way he kind of like treats it all with this this very um uh, um genuine um pathos of 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 respect and sympathy and um excitement in a way for this guy um i think that is a tribute to his character acting in a subtle way that I'm sure a lot of people may kind of, you know, take for granted. Like, sure. Even if that's reflective of your genuine feelings, you're still kind of performing for the camera. And if you make it connect that you're doing something right, like he came off as a good, like public speaker and he made me feel emotionally invested in this match for just for the very positive way he felt about his, 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 uh, his opponent. Yep, and it, it it he he Bret Hart did his part to make this seem to to this match was truly to like get over one two three kid and make him seem like a legitimate tops challenger, even mm-hmm. in defeat. And I think that between the match itself and Bret Hart's ability ta- ability on the microphone before and after the match, yeah, he, Bret one two three kid comes out of this episode, f- making you feel like next time he could beat Bret. Yeah, and and even when he's not on the mic, again the moments like like when when the match the match first gets called and Brett's going no this ain't right, uh, and then at the end when he's checking on one two three kid, um, this you don't feel like you know, you know the the guy's career is going to get hampered by this loss. Uh, he's going to continue to be a rising star partially because the current big star of the company has his back in a way and is rooting for him. Even if he has to like, you know, for his own career, maintain the belt for himself. Um, he, again, what really, what really stuck out to me was in the final promo where he said he felt lucky to, to retain that belt. Cause that wasn't, I, I don't think that was him just saying like, you know, the generic, like, you know, I, I just feel, you know, so blessed that I get to be yeah. like, he feels good game, lucky. Good game, kid. Yeah, no, he feels lucky that he was able to beat out this extremely, uh, extremely talented, worthy rival. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and, you know, I, a lot of these promos, you know, they're a little more improv than scripted directly. And, like, again, if that was the case here, the brilliant choice of words on Brett's part, even a single word, did so much to highlight that. Yeah, this is this is before there was tight scripting in promos. So this yeah. be, so he so Brett would so hype so theoretically uh brett would be probably given like a direction he'd be like okay you got yeah. this much time talk about this but like the specific word choice would would probably have gone to brett yeah absolutely and uh, the, again the the fact that people like look back on brett and are like yeah he wasn't great on the mic i don't know i feel like that's that's kind of more of a product of like how poorly he got treated in like the in you know in the later parts of his career like i i, I think I, I feel like it's really a, a product of one even if he's okay on the mic he his ability in ring overshadows that significantly and two his ability on the mic when he becomes the 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 evil pro Canada anti America heel also mm. overshadows him when he's more of a of a respectful you know plays by the rules good guy. Yeah, no, but but that's the thing for me is like as much as I was talking about like you know I love the explosive moments where something really big happens and everybody gets a nice big shock out of it. I also really 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 adore when this show when this company 
in in one in any of its many many iterations finds its way to some really compelling subtlety um for for professional wrestling to do that i don't think uh i will ever um lose appreciation for the moments where that comes about and this is a phenomenal example of it um and god it, again it just makes it all the more like i man i wish this i wish this dude could have just had the world um for for all of his talents and all the little things he was able to bring to this yeah like it's a it's a it's he gets the respect he deserves now for sure but at the time you know it's it's there a lot goes wrong in his career from 97 yeah. on that makes it so Oof. sad Oof. but yeah um so that was just a phenomenal phenomenal match and like one two three kid as the early high as kind of like a proto high flyer in a way um was was exceptional um just yeah, just, I don't, yeah wwf has, has seen very little quite like one two three kid in 90 by in 1994 i mean even today that level of like that level of of elastic um high flying um speedy um athletic prowess is still not particularly common we've gotten it more and we do get to see it more often but it's still not like it's still far from the main mo mm-hmm um, you know, God, this is making me wish I would, is probably not, but is one, two, three kid versus Taka Mishinoku a thing we ever get? Um, because, oh my God, imagine it, that it's, match. If it's happened, I don't remember it. I, I can look that up, but to my knowledge, it, I can't remember it ever happening. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking, like, you know, for 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 to return for a brief second to the world of fantasy booking, like, God, imagine that match. Um, oh, and it's not like they weren't both in the same company at the same time. Yeah, but, no. But you uh, know, when they were at the same company at the same time, X Pac was a little bit higher level than Takamishinoku. Yeah. So they, that those paths aren't going to cross. Unfortunately, but you know, but 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 regardless, um, the it's 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 cool to get to like see such a prototype at work um and that that adds another cool layer to it too of um the way like he gets up to the top rope and not only does he does he leap from the top rope he twists in the air he flips he jumps over uh he jumps over brett to like insane like insane heights um like that stuff is definitely revolutionary to wwe specifically at this point in time oh, like, probably, yeah. like you probably you look at like the biggest top rope moves ever done is you get stuff like the macho man he drops an elbow mm-hmm. and and ricky the dragon steamboat will do like a crossbody, which is just kind of like which i it's just kind of just like you jump and then you like land your whole body on the other guy's body torso torso so it's very basic stuff and not not saying it's not impressive or anything but it's it's one two three kid is doing stuff that a wwf audience isn't used to seeing yeah no and and he moves himself in such a um in such a standout way um that just 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 the way he moves his body is so unique too we're not used to seeing um such such quick uh quick on your feet movement and thinking um and and the fact that he's able to pull off some of these moves multiple times in a match um 
is is just like again it speaks to like you know for even for a scrawny dude like the stamina he has the no, consistency okay. yeah. the dude does a four move set where he does like a cross body at the top off the top rope mm-hmm. then he gets and that doesn't work he gets up and does a leg drop off the top rope that doesn't work either and then what he does is then he ends up like brett goes out of the ring he dives onto brett and like almost he overshoots him and barely hits him at all yeah that's but that's just something about how athletic one to three kid is. He, he overshoots it. Yeah. <laughs> and then he knocks True. down Brett. And then he, he gets up and then does a splash off the top rope. This is like four straight moves. Yeah. Back to back to back. To back. And and they still give Brett plenty of spotlight too because like the cool the thing they miss The last one misses and they explicitly call that out as like maybe he's going to the well one too, one too many times. He's Yeah. He's, he's doing too much of the same stuff, and Brett caught on. And Brett's catching it. And some of the counters, some of the, like, quick split-second counters that Brett pulls out against him, too. Um, he there, – there are times Including when – Including the finish where, uh, yeah. you know, he's, where he's trying to do a drop kick off the top rope, and Brett just catches his legs midair yep. and, and throws flips. him down. Yep. Yeah. The um, – the – which again, you think about how these, how improvised these fights are. The level of coordination that it must have taken between the two of them to do stuff like that in the moment, um, it's it's exceptionally smart too. This is one of those times where it really you it really gets to show how intelligent um, this show can be sometimes in it, in in the the athletics it it uh, it puts on display. Um, because the nature of like kind of the, the the mental um the mental fortitude you have to have to be able to um do make those split second decisions with another person in tandem to make sure it all works and looks good while you're getting like legitimately kind of pummeled and physically like hurt it's 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 amazing and again just the just the fact that this match has so much to like uh it has so much of that good stuff that like when you when you kind of get down to analyze it it lets you kind of realize all these things this is one of those things that feels like just the epoch of what wwe can be at its best what professional wrestling on a whole can be at its its best technical level I will, and I'll absolutely recommend you look up this match. Is I, it was a bitch of a time finding the full episode on YouTube, but there is a several. There's plenty of videos of this match in particular mm. in full on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to watch that? Yeah. Um, and then the rest of the matches on the episode, like I said, kind of meh. Um, nothing like like once you have that and you go back to uh, to like new generation jobber squashes obviously it's not going to stand up but nothing particularly offensive we got no, uh you know kona yeah kona crush or versus kona- matt hardy which i i, I, which? I had a little bit of a fun moment because matt hardy uh if if you might have heard of him if you even in the sense that he is he is one of those wrestlers who was very popular in the attitude era one of the biggest uh tag team wrestlers of all time with his brother jeff but he got his start in the company for a few years as a jobber and he eventually just kind of worked his way out of that and we had this really cool moment too, where uh, Austin like told me that bit of background like as the match was starting, and I kind of thought, and, and I and I responded like, "Oh, cool, he's one of those jobbers that actually got to like work his way up." And Austin was like, "Yeah," and I kind of pondered out loud for a moment, like, you know, Austin was like, "Yeah, he's just that good." And I I pondered out loud for a moment, like, you know, I wonder how a jobber gets to show off that they're that good. And like right after I say that, uh, he does this thing 
where um where where, where Crush uh comes for him and he jumps up like uh you know kind of does a, a halfway handstand off the top rope um and kind of jumps over Crush and Crush yeah, misses I know. and I was like oh that's how. Yeah, yeah, he does. It's a, that's a very, a very. It, it's not. It's a pretty common move for anyone who's like a high flyer type. But it is still so cool to watch, especially for a jobber who normally doesn't get to do anything that cool. Yeah, no. So like, and, and of course, you know, Crush still wins because you know jobber squash. But like, but I was like, oh my god, that was neat. Um, the jobber squash that I actually like, you know, got a tiny bit excited for at one point. That doesn't really happen. Yeah cool that was that yeah that was that was cool and i was like okay yeah i'm 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 here for this and and you know glad he got to work his way up because he clearly had the ability to to prove himself more than this so sure go off king absolutely yes yep and then uh we got uh scott hall razor ramon against Mm -hmm. uh barry horowitz which uh not nothing really remarkable in this one just because like you know, Scott Hall isn't one for the theatrics in terms of his moves. He's a very easy, he's a hard hitting big man instead by comparison. And he was really laying it in on this one. Um, the, probably the part that, that, that got me the most is when I called him a dickhead for he, it, to end the match, he, you know, he's setting up for his big move, the Razor's Edge. The crowd was, was, the crowd was wanting it. They wanted to see the big move. And yeah. instead he just does a easy little roll up. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which, like, you know, sure. That's a that's a funny way to dunk on your jobber. Uh, I'm in a good enough mood to allow it. You don't even have to, like, you know, you don't even have to hit your big move on him to win. Yeah, no. Um, although Austin did make an interesting comment uh, at one point we were watching of like th- that. I kind of yeah, I, I thought in the back of my mind, but I didn't like think to express until Austin said it was um, uh, the. the uh, the first two jobbers didn't totally feel like jobbers. They looked like they could have been like legit guys in a way. Like they both looked generic as hell, but like they looked in some form. They had they had a certain je ne sais quoi about each of them that was like, I could see you, you know, being actually like a fighter that we that we care about and that actually has like story consequences. Yeah, they don't. They didn't look like lo- they look like complete scrubs. losers. Yeah. Yeah, and I I do appreciate that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then we got IRS uh, versus a jobber who very much did look like a dumpy loser. Yeah, I don't even remember his name. Me neither. It was the worst match by far. Uh, no, IRS, just immediately went out of my mind. Because like the IRS, IRS is about the same level of athletic prowess as Crush, but Crush had a much quicker match. Yeah. So, and, um, you know, IRS still doing his thing where he somehow ties everything into tax evasion. <laughs> It worked enough to be both uh, to, to to exist pretty much throughout the entire nineties. So, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. But you know, he does his thing. He wins. It's whatever. It's, and then, yeah. Uh, other stuff on this episode is we get a couple of. Uh, I guess we get to talk. I guess everything else has to talk about Lex Luger. Honestly, from oh, yeah. The first thing is that we get to see an. We finally get to see an Ico Pro commercial where they say the, the say the slogan. Yeah. I've been complaining about this. Is that you know every, all, almost every Ico Pro episode ends with the wrestler being like Ico Pro. You gotta want it, but we yeah. keep getting the ones where they don't. Yeah. And, and this time we get Luger. 
Yeah, yeah, you got Razor Ramon, and he did. Yeah. Uh, but we get this time we get to see Luger working out, doing generic workout stuff, <laughs> and, then, and then he gets off the bench and is like, "Ico Pro, you gotta I want, want it." Like I, I love, I just love that. Like they, not only did WWE invent their own form of like uh, workout protein, whatever mm-hmm. supplement, workout supplement. That's what I was thinking of. Not only did they invent their own for their bodybuilding federation that failed, but then they also make the the most lame generic catchphrase you could probably imagine for it. Yeah, you gotta want it. Yeah, it's so goofy, and it's like, it's random, vague, safe brandingness. but like, it's fun, like, just the seriousness which was they deliver that line. You gotta, yeah, you gotta that, that's what makes it, it great, that's what makes it great, is that, every, that all the wrestlers that did these these bits, like, took it 100% seriously in the way they did in their, in the, in the, um, uh, in the execution. Yeah, you gotta admire them committing to the bit. I have to say. Yeah, it's it's. You also gotta admire the WWE committing to Ico Pro uh, two years <laughs> after the Bodybuilding Federation went out of business. <laughs> we're still we're uh, look look. They the the Bodybuilding Federation might have gone under, but Vince is uh, Vince will never get give up on his dream to. Uh, to to create as many uh beefed up uh beefed up muscle cakes uh as as he possibly can in this universe for him to to gaze at longingly and wish that he could he could buy them uh, and put them under really questionable and shitty working contracts uh for 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 other people's entertainment (laughs) yeah um we'll probably never do it on this show but you can't but there is video of the world bodybuilding federation their like one and only pay-per-view they ever did and vince mcmahon is on commentary and oh my god does he get so excited he's real He's real into it, and it is uh, funny. It is hilarious. It's like because because that's the thing. Like I don't even imagine it. I, I don't even imagine it's like a horny thing. I just imagine it's like it's all part of like Vince's Vince McMahon's like plan, twelve step plan for world domination of of creating his own like race of of uh, glistened up, oily, naturally oily bodybuilders. Um, mm-hmm. That, that he will use to to take over the world either financially or by force if necessary um he just he's just really excited about that that vision finally coming to fruition but anyway yes. um yes. So and then so we did that and then they did like a video package showing off some luger highlights talking about mm-hmm. how he's he's done it all except he has not won the WWE title so instead of competing against bret hart he's going to fight diesel for the intercontinental title <laughs> It's a start. Not, not the best way to sell the big main event match for next week, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's not where you start. It's where you finish. I don't know. Um, but but yeah, then, so that was the thing. And yeah, then, yeah, then, then, then the, big, yeah. the big shit. The the uh, King's Court taking Oof. place in a back office in a government building or wherever. It looked like shit, but it was apparently on location where Ted DiBiase works. Yeah, the King's Court really. It, honestly, this is our most boring King's Court yet. 
Um, it was like they uh, like for, but I mean, we did get the funny bit before it even started of DiBiase is pretending to be on the phone by <laughs> yelling at his stockbroker. He's literally just doing the stonks meme. He's like, he's like, stonks. get me some, get me some stonks, rageful hang up. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then he gets the interview and, you know, he's, he's kind of reiterate like, he he runs down all these people that he's bought. Mm-hmm. That's his term. That's his phrase, not mine. I didn't say. I mean, he didn't say bought the ser- paid for the services of, or hired. He bought these people. Yeah, which is really like I don't like that. It feels really uncomfy to hear him say that with that big shit eating grin. Is a weird tacky sequiny dollar sign millionaire dude suit. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not help that like he, right now all of his peep all of his dudes are white, but the first person that he bought was his black manservant doesn't help. Oh, no. They, it doesn't help the negative connotations of him saying that he's buying people. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he's running down his roster. He's got Nikolai Volkov. He's got The Undertaker, we swear. He's got <laughs> Bam Bam Bigelow. But now, he's announced his newest signing, Lex Luger. <gasps> Kick a gasp! Our oh, American God. hero! Oh no! Of course, then it gets like funny because well, is that Lawler presses him on this more because he Lawler is 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 cackling in glee at the thought, and then and then and then uh, DiBiase admits that well they haven't he, Luger hasn't officially signed the contract. It, it's it's basically just dot in the eyes signed. It's basically it's basically done. It's like, yeah, oh. no, I mean again, this is another thing of like they give the game away immediately. Like like we right. we were talking about subtlety earlier. This is just like the most obvious like doom and gloom, uh, um, setting yourself up for failure sort of thing that like you can imagine just obvious like this is going to go wrong big flashy no. sign over DiBiase's head since I've had enough talk fantasy booking mystery today you know I kind of wish that they hadn't he hadn't admitted that he didn't he hadn't he didn't had officially signed yet I, I for at least for one week I wish they had he had just said that he signed Lex Luger and let the and let the fans want think for a week that, that Lex Luger has signed with D- has dared to turn coat to DiBiase, and the next week they can reveal like, oh, yeah. actually he hasn't signed Lex Luger, reve- saying that he'll never sell out to the million dollar man or whatever. And even you if know, you want to like for a week, even if you want to have like your cheeky like um, DiBiase kind of sheepishly admitting like that it's not fully, you could you could like have him sneak in a few weasel words there like. Like, like, have him be like, oh, everything's pretty much all set and we're ready to go with, you know, something, something like, you know, smaller and like sneakier. But then the next week, Luger can pull out and be like, oh, no, 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 no. You see, he was pulling a sneaky one on you. Uh, I, I ain't signing nothing. Uh, you know, if you really want to be tongue in cheek about it, you can do it in more subtle ways. But like, ultimately, yeah, it would have been cool if they didn't like. But again, new generation, we know what to expect. Um, yeah. But yeah, so he, you know, he he basically turns to the camera and says, "This is going to backfire on me." And yeah. then, yeah, uh, pretty much, yes. And, and then, and then, yeah, and then, oh, and then, and then we get Paul Bearer, which finally I get to hear Paul Bearer speak, and I can confirm, holy shit, Austin's impression of him is like scarily dead on, no pun intended. Um, it was, it was, 
Oh, scary indeed. It was, it was, uh, I was like, oh my God. Because, because the way Austin was doing the voice, I thought like there, there's probably a little bit of like, you know, hyperbole to how Austin's doing this impression. There's probably a little bit of like, you know, playing up just like the silly high pitch. No, it's exactly the same. It's just as breathy. It's just as goofy and high pitch. It's just as everything. It's exactly like, like how you've been hearing it on this podcast up until yeah. this point. Oh, I mean, why would I make a joke about something as serious as death? Oh my god. And, and like the the weird vibrato and the K to everything. Um, so and he basically is, you know, with a weirdly foggy lens on him, like Yeah, we're not we're not sure how much this was VHS rip and how much was them just deciding to make it really foggy to sell the cause you get it, because it's like death and shit. Yeah. It's yeah. Cool. But 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 yeah. he, you know he basically like, visible. I can yeah. count the pixels. Yeah, but he but he was basically like, no, Dibiase, you do not have my Undertaker. Hey, I have the true Undertaker. Oh! You know, uh, you know, back and forth. We're we're not being remotely subtle about like what the hell's going on. We're not leaving anything to the audience's imagination. We've ranted about this for half an hour already. You get the gist. Yep. And yeah, and then and then you know that, and then like I said, the 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 Bret Hart promo at the end where he's like, you know, I faced off against the kid. It was a good match, and now it's time to prove to my brother that he's that he sucks and that I'm great. Dun 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 dun. Yeah, you know they're they're in this real era of time where they're like where they where they want to end Raw on this like it feel make it feel like the show is shouldn't be over yet. Mm-hmm. Like that's the way they cut it off, and they always like leave this like, like they give like the uh, the ending credit spiel, and then suddenly they throw out another piece of content. Yeah, as as they're going off air, and they they do that a lot, and they do that in this episode too. I, I kind of like it, but I also kind of appreciate you know having a real ending and then being like, and it was when they say goodbye folks that we're at the end. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I mean, how mu- how much of this like how. How many times have I have I commented on this podcast of like you know no matter my feelings on an episode like like how many times have I said like oh I mean but that ending image was really cool mm. kind of leaving off without without that in this era you know you're you're again limiting yourself in a lot of ways but like you know whatever yeah it is what it is it's it's been like twenty five years I don't think it matters anymore no no but uh, overall. I mean, again, we had our thing that that we mostly Austin ranted about at the beginning, but like overall, this was probably the best new generation episode we watched. I would absolutely agree. My biggest problem was more of a long was in a long game, a long yeah, game, long, uh, yeah. you know, conceptual problem. Down that, the line. That, yeah, that isn't really reflective of the quality of this episode in particular. Yeah, no, it's it's just yeah. That was it's, that was I, a this, great. I think this is about as good as you're gonna find. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not wanting to claw my eyes out. I'm not. I'm not in immense pain from boredom. This is. This was. It was. It started. The first half was really good, and the rest was like serviceable enough that I didn't lose the high from the first part. Good on ya. We did a good new generation episode. Yay! Congratulations, everybody. There was much rejoicing. Yay! And next time, let's let's go back to something that's a little more consistent in quality. <gasps> oh. The kind of thing that, like, 
at least this good every week. It's Lucha Underground. We return once more to Boyle Heights, baby. Now, what will happen next week? Well, uh, we have we have just seen Cage lose to Prince Puma, but then like rip his belt in half. That's mm-hmm. that's that's that sounds rough, buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what will happen next week? Well, thank goodness that the episode title kind of gives it away. <laughs> ne- the next week we'll do one uh, an episode Johnny Mundo versus the Machine. Oh, that's gonna be good, ladies and gents. Let me tell you. It is David hit the plugs. Yes, sir. Alrighty, my friends, my dear, dear, dear friends. Thank you once again for joining us on another episode of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. We are so happy to have you with us. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. It's been a delight. We hope you've been enjoying the ride so far. If you're brand new, if this is your first time with us, welcome. We are delighted to have you. If you would like to continue to 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 hang out with us week after week, hearing about this wild, wacky world of wrestling and you're not entirely sure how to do so not to fear my friends i can help you out with that one you can subscribe to us on youtube the noobs and knockouts podcast two you can listen to us on spotify on apple and on on google three of the best places to get your podcasts we can be uh if, if if you're subscribed to us on youtube make sure you hit that bell leave likes leave comments uh if you're listening to us on any of the other places give us a follow uh leave us ratings tell us what you think of the show we love that engagement and and you know we sincerely like to hear feedback from you know from people who listen how we do and how do you like the show um if you if you want to follow us on our socials you can find us on twitter at noobs and knox pod that's noobs the letter n knox pod uh we post uh we post there every week uh when our new episodes go up austin does weekly uh um uh wrestling live tweeting watching watching AEW shows uh he's been uh tweeting like a madman about wrestlemania stuff recently it's all very good stuff some great memes some great analysis from our resident knockout it's all good stuff austin do you want to quickly throw in what's on the docket upcoming yes is that um I hate to I, I admit that we don't record these live so the, the day I release them. So th- when this episode drops, what will be the next big thing on the docket? Well, hmm. next Sunday, April 25th, will be Impact Rebellion, their newest pay-per-view event. And have I got some matches for you to talk about. Is we are gonna is it has Ritz Swan versus Kenny Omega in a title for title match for the Impact World Championship and the AEW World Championship. That's going to be amazing. Uh, Finn Juice uh, of New Japan Pro Wrestling versus the Good Brothers for the Impact World Tag Team Championship. That's probably going to be really good. Uh, Deanna Perrazzo, the Virtuosa, again versus the Daniil Dashwood, the the world's shittiest in- so Instagram in- influencer for the <laughs> Impact Knockouts Championship. Oh yeah, the. Ace Austin, the uh, the uh, ace up his sleeve, who will definitely fuck your mom slash girlfriend, versus <laughs> uh, the walking weapon Josh Alexander, and a guy who's good at wrestling I don't like because he's a shitty asshole in real life, TJP, for the Impact <laughs> X Division Championship, and Matt Cardona versus Brian Myers in a in a feud between former best friends. And that is what's on the card announced right now. They could have more matches, but I'm pretty excited. Uh, it is a $40 pay-per-view on Fight on Fight TV or wherever you can get pay-per-view uh, 
pay-per-view uh, providers if you'd like to watch if you would like to watch along with me but i understand why not so keep track of us on the twitters and as always every week i live tweet aew dynamite Absolutely. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff there. We can also be emailed at uh, uh, noobsandknockoutspod at gmail.com. That is with the word and this time. Uh, you know, send us uh, send us your thoughts. Tell us what you think of the show, uh, how, uh, how much you enjoy listening to our beautiful, beautiful voices tell you all about wrestling every single week. Uh, let us know what you think. Give us recommendations. Uh, uh, give us give us uh, 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 requests. Uh, give us feedback. Just say hi, whatever. We love hearing from people. Uh, and finally, you can find us on Patreon. One dollar a month to our Patreon, the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. We'll get you early access to episodes and shout outs at the end of each episode. Yep. See you guys next time. Hasta luego.